You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man is a two-time felon. I work really hard and I've been, a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Freedom Pact. Welcome back to the Freedom Pact podcast. Today on the show, we have Nick from BookThinkers. If you guys are at all interested in personal development reading, you will have seen BookThinkers. These guys celebrate reading and personal development. And today, we're going to talk about how to optimize your reading. So, making you become a better reader and retain more information and it begs the question to me how many of our listeners are big readers so what i want you guys to do is dm us on instagram at freedom pact and tell me your favorite personal development book of all time and let me know where you're from so let's get right into today's show nick welcome to the freedom pact podcast Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. So I want to dive into optimizing your reading. But before we get into that, I want to talk about you and the Book Thinkers um, journey. So I love the origin story of Book Thinkers because it's very similar to how this podcast came about. So the story is that you and your friend used to meet up to discuss random business ideas. Am I right to believe it was a, a concept in Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich that, that led to that happening? It was, yeah, mastermind groups. Wow. So when you first met up talking about, how did the idea for Book Thinkers come about? Why, why reading? Well, at the time, I, I had just started reading myself, and so did my first business partner. And reading started to change our lives. And I started on my personal social media to post about the books that I was reading. And I became the book guy. And so my friends and family and people that I was meeting, they were asking me questions about books. And I thought there needs to be a better place for me to consolidate this information and share it with the world. And so that's really why it started. We would meet each and every week. And throughout the week leading up to the meeting, we would write down things that were bothering us or things that were inefficient. And I had so many people asking me about books all the time. I thought, well, it's, you know, it's kind of annoying to type up my biggest takeaways from Rich Dad Poor Dad every single time somebody asks me about it. So I wanted to consolidate all of that information in one place so that when somebody asked me about a book or what's a good book for this, what's a good book for that, I would have one place to go and share that information with them. So they say that the best way to come up with a business idea is think of a problem and try and solve it. So from the, the users of BookThinkers perspective, what problem are you trying to solve? Well, with the mobile application that we just put out, the problem is that people are reading amazing books, but they're often failing to remember and retain their biggest mm -hmm. takeaways. And so there's a great example in a TED Talk by Kevin Horsley, the memory grandmaster. He looks at it at the audience and he says, put your hand up if you've read the seven, the seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And so everybody puts their hand up. 
And then he says, keep your hand up. If you can tell me right now, the seven habits of highly effective people and everybody puts their hand down. And so why are we reading these amazing books? If we can't even remember our biggest takeaways, if we're not actually putting them into action. And so the new book thinkers mobile application is helping to bridge that gap between reading a book and actually learning, which requires real behavior change. And so a big piece of that is retention. And then the social community behind book thinkers on Instagram, the 80,000 plus book lovers that we have contributing on those posts and talking with each other, that's to help connect readers with each other and to help people discover new books that they might not have taken a look at before and help authors get their books out there to the world and really everything in between. So going back to your personal journey, how and when did you personally discover the power of not just books, but personal development? Well, I was, so I'm 26 years old now, and I was around 20 or 21 years old. I had taken an internship with a software company while I was at university. And one of my early mentors gave me a couple personal development books to read. And he did that because I wasn't getting a lot out of the classroom. I was going to these classes. They were sort of boring. They weren't teaching me real life experience. And I knew there needed to be a way to learn faster. And so I read a couple of these personal development books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and some of those early books uh, that were classics in the space. And they changed my life. I went from operating from a place and making decisions from a place of ego and insecurity to a place of confidence and security. And that transition happened because of books, because of amazing books. And so I wanted to share that journey with other people. That was really an inflection point in my life. Like things were very below average. They were just okay. And then they turned amazing in every area of my life. And the easiest place to measure that is financially. And so that's the one that attracted the most people was I was an average student. I didn't have a ton of ambition, but then right out of university, I started to make a lot of money and travel the world and have fun. And I was very social with that. And so people said, well, how did that happen? And I said, books. And that's what got people interested at first. Do you remember some of the, you mentioned two there, but do you remember some of the first books that you didn't read, but like the first books that had a massive impact on you and it made you like step back and think, whoa, maybe the, you know, there is something to this. Yeah. Well, the, the first was definitely Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki because I had a lot of insecurity and anxiety around money. I didn't know much about how to manage money, how to make money, how to invest money. And so when other smart people brought those subjects up, I just sort of, you know, I didn't know how to contribute to the conversation. And that book taught me the importance of a financial education and financial literacy, the ability to understand how money works. And so once I started to understand a little bit more about that, it, you know, it had such a big impact on my life. All of a sudden I thought, wow, I'm not anxious and insecure. I wonder what other areas of my life I can apply this to. But I did start to read more and more about money. And so another good example from one of the first books I read was The Richest Man in Babylon. And then I went to some of the other classics like The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And then I started to think about lifestyle design because, okay, what other areas of my life can I apply this to? So I read The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. And that book blew my mind because it said, okay, Society has constructed this box for all of us 
we need to work nine to five. You know, here's what a good lifestyle looks like. Everybody follows the same path. You go to in the United States high school and then college, and then you work for somebody else for the next 40 years of your life, and then you retire with a 401k, and that's that. But Tim Ferriss told me, design whatever lifestyle you want in that book and break free of society's restrictions. Reality is completely negotiable and up to you. And so I took the nine to five job that I had out of college and I made it a remote job, laptop lifestyle, just work from wherever you are. And there's a framework in that book to do that. And then Tim Ferriss taught me in that book early on too about the 80-20 principle, that 20% of your work is generating 80% of the results. And so if you could just automate and delegate the 80% that's only producing the 20%, you can free up your life to do whatever you want and to have more fun and more experiences. And so that was another book very early on that had a huge impact on my life. It's really inspiring to see that you've built a business, you built an empire all off of your biggest passion. How important do you think it is in business for people to not only go for a gap in the market, let's say, but to go for their passion and how effective do you think that is in building a, a solid business? Yeah, I, I think passion sometimes is hard for people to define. I'll say that my passion for reading came from consistency and so by consistently reading, I developed the passion. It wasn't there before I started reading. And so I think your purpose comes from your pain. That's something that I hear one of my mentors, Evan Carmichael, say a lot. And so, you know, kind of my experience was that I went from below average to above average because of reading. And so my pain was that I was below average my purpose came from finding reading and becoming above average. And so it's easy for me to communicate that to other people. And I think that's why I'm so filled with that energy each and every day. Mm -hmm. And so aligning your business with contributing to society and to helping other people through what, you know, what you use to overcome your struggles, I think is very important. And that's sort of how I define my purpose. Uh, and yeah, there's a big gap in the market, but I'm super passionate and it took me years and years and years behind the scenes to grow book thinkers before anybody started to talk about it. And I think what got me through those hard times was my purpose. So I do think it's important to, to be energetic and to be aligned with what you want to contribute to society. Mm. You mentioned mentors there for a second. You mentioned Evan Carmichael, someone we've spoken to on this show. I love Evan. Um, how important were mentorships to you in building this uh, business? Because it's a business in which there's no blueprint for success. Not many people have done it before you. So there's no roadmap you can look at and go, All right, step one, step two, step three. You've almost had to build the roadmap yourself. So how important was it to seek out mentorship for you? Mentorship can come in a couple different ways. Um, I love listening to podcasts and reading books by amazing people. And so I do implement certain models that they've used to create success into my own life. And I take certain lessons that they've experienced, hardships that they've gone through and obstacles that they've overcome. And I make note of those things. And if I face a fork in the road uh, and I can use their experience to help avoid a trap, I will. And so mentorship through podcasts and reading books or listening to books has definitely helped accelerate my roadmap to success. And it's helped me gain a lot of confidence because I can make a decision using the principles and thought processes of these amazing human beings. 
And so, you know, what would Steve Jobs do in this situation or how would Albert Einstein react to this? Like those are real, you know, those are real situations that you can put yourself through and gain different perspectives. So mentorship in that perspective has helped me a lot. And then, you know, individual mentors like Kevin Horsley for book thinkers. He's a memory grandmaster. He's memorized the first 10,000 digits of pi and all of these other amazing things. And he wrote a book called Unlimited Memory. And so we, you know, I've met with him a lot and spent a lot of time with him running through different questions I have and different observations that I'm making and sort of sanity checking myself. And so utilizing people like that in my network has also been amazing. And the last piece I think is that uh, you should always refresh your fundamentals and be sort of your own mentor. I love communicating with people that haven't achieved what book thinkers has achieved from a social perspective as an example, because I get to refresh my own fundamentals and live sort of walk the talk, be my own mentor. And I have not achieved anything that I want to in my life yet. I mean, there are certain little, little things along the way and I have a long way to go, but from what I have done so far, it's important to reflect on that kind of stuff and be your own mentor sometimes. I think so far in this podcast, in this first little section, everyone's listening right now. Everyone's thinking, I understand the power of books. I, you know, I want to get started on that journey. So let's talk about how you do that. So for someone starting out their reading journey now, who's thinking, right, I want to get in on, I want to get in on this. I've seen the success of it. What are some of the best tips you can give to optimize the effectiveness of reading? So maybe the volume they're reading, the speed, the note taking, maybe audio versus actual hard copy. What are some of the best tips you can give for those starting out? When you're first starting, I would really recommend finding a book that aligns with who you want to be. And so it's very, we all have people that we want to be like, it might be Jeff Bezos, it might be Elon Musk, it might have been Steve Jobs or Albert Einstein, Leonardo da Vinci, if you're an artist. I mean, there are different people out there that you probably look up to. And so read books about those people or by those people. You'll be energetic, you'll be into the story, you'll be able to apply things directly into your life, you'll be able to talk about it with friends and family because it'll be easy for you to retain that information. It'll be an emotional experience. And so I always encourage people to start their reading journeys that way rather than pick up a really big book like, or a very complicated book like Thinking Fast and Slow or Thinking Grow Rich. Like Those books might not keep you focused on the content and you might drift and you might not pick up the book and it might kill your reading experience and potential. Once you do get into reading and you start to define a little bit of rhythm, block out time every day. I always say, people always tell me, hey, I can't find the time to read. And I say, well, replace existing activities with reading and then you don't need to find or create time. You already have the time set aside. Maybe that's Netflix or social media that you're replacing with reading, but try it out for a couple of weeks and see what the results are. I love to measure my reading because if you're not measuring something, it's very difficult to manage it. And so for me, having reading goals that are defined really well, you know, smart goals for reading is very important. So make your reading goals specific, make them measurable, make them actionable make them relevant to your life, you know, write them out and then put some time sensitive stuff around it. Um, so for me this year, I'm reading 60 books and 30 of them are books that I've already read in the past. Those are the books that have had the biggest impact on my life. I'm rereading them. 30 of them are new. And so I know that I need to read 
15 books every three months in order to hit 60 books. That breaks down to about five books per month or 1.25 books per week. And so when I do the math out like that, it's very easy to keep with the pace and to keep going. Um, as far as speed reading, things like that, I think reading is just like any other skill. The more you do it, the more efficient you'll become. You'll recognize the best ways for yourself to take notes. If you try audio books, if you try digital books, if you try physical books, you'll start to understand over time and through practice what works best for you. And then you'll also gain in speed, like golfing as an example. I've never golfed before. If I went out with my friends and we went golfing, they would probably be much better than me. And so if you try to start reading and you're not as fast as I am, that's probably because I've read hundreds and hundreds of personal development books and you haven't read any yet. So you can't expect to be super efficient, but through trial and error, you'll start to discover what works best for you. And the last point that I'll make is something that I talked with Jim Quick about on my podcast and it was also in his new book, Limitless. He said that when you're driving a car, and you're going very slow, it's very easy to get distracted. You can look out and see the scenery. You might get distracted by the song that's playing on the radio and you'll be singing along and all of a sudden you'll be 10 miles down the road or kilometers down the road. Or you might pull out your phone because you get distracted by a text message or something like that. But if you're driving very fast, you don't have the ability to get distracted by what's to the left or to the right. You won't look at your phone if you're speeding down the road and taking intense turns because you need to only focus on the road. And so with reading, I encourage people to try to read faster because you'll minimize the opportunity to be distracted. And so sometimes people think speed reading, you're just flying through the book, you're doing it for vanity metrics. That's not always the case. By reading faster, you can actually increase your comprehension and you can increase your retention. Now, still spend time reflecting and implementing that information. Go back and review your biggest notes and your biggest takeaways. Put them into the new BookThinkers mobile application and systematically review them. But you know, don't just read slow because you think that reading slow is better for your brain or something. Most of the time, it's actually not. Mm. On the subject of measuring your reading then, how important do you think so looking ahead and setting goals is important, but maybe looking back could be equally important. So I think mm -hmm. of app, you know, apps that people use, like Goodreads is obviously one of the biggest out there. How important do you think it is to, you know, record your reading then and, and, and make a sort of back catalog of what you've been through to, to look back on? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of it. I think it's very important to document what you've been reading because if you can, if you can easily access your book notes, then you can easily identify a situation where you might need to review them, quickly review them on your phone, and then you're better off in that situation. Um, going back and systematically reviewing your book notes leads to retention. Repetition, so consistently reviewing your book notes and the books that you've read, leads to retention. And when you strengthen those neural pathways through repetition, then you're more likely to implement that information or to identify opportunities to take advantage of the amazing lessons that you've learned in these books. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's extremely important. You know, I, it would be very funny if somebody came up and said, hey, what was your biggest takeaway from X, Y, and Z book? And I didn't have an answer. You know, why am I, why would I be reading those books? And so by reviewing them consistently and keeping all of your notes very organized, you're increasing your opportunity to be successful in life. Do you believe that reading is a habit and can be developed just like any other habit then? So if you start, 
some people may start small and start reading 10 pages per day. And then if you sustain that over a long period of time, X amount of days, you'll find it becomes part of your routine without actually really being conscious of it. Do you believe that to be true? Absolutely. I believe that consistently reading, you know, over time, it's going to take a bit of willpower to pick up the book, to open it, to stay focused, to read, to prioritize that activity. And the more that you desensitize yourself to that experience over time, it'll take less and less and less willpower. Mm. And that's because it is becoming a habit. You know, there are different ways. There are so many different books on habit building and habit formation. There are different ways to accelerate that process for yourself to make it more consistent and more structured and more routine based. Um, But overall, I absolutely believe that anybody on this earth can get reading to be a good habit and, and see positive results from it. And the compound effect is real. Small steps in the right direction over a long period of time generate momentum. And momentum, you know, motion in a certain direction helps you and decreases the willpower necessary to do that action. And so over time, reading will absolutely become easier. It will absolutely become a habit. And for me, you know, I went from not only did I not read, but I was against it. I didn't think it was sexy. I didn't think it was fun. I didn't think I needed to do it. I thought I could just watch a YouTube video summary of a book or a lesson by an author and be perfectly fine. But then when you get into the neuroscience, that's not how it works. And so it's very important to give it a chance, I think, and, and to develop those skills over time. Absolutely. Hmm. I think there are a lot of businesses out there that try and monetize the excuse of, I don't have enough time. And before this podcast died, even that was one of the business ideas that were floating around my brain was trying to come up with some sort of platform where, and you see a lot of people do it where they try and get the, the biggest and most, you know, the, the books that everyone wants to read. And they try and pack them into these concise little bursts and teach them to you in, you know, use 10 minute books or something like that. And it doesn't encourage you to then go on and read them for yourselves. They just hear the notes, hear the takeaways, forget the rest on you go. How detrimental do you think it is robbing the experience from someone of going along that journey themselves and just going, here's the five main bullet points? Mm -hmm. I think it's very detrimental. There's a book called The Art of Learning by Joshua Waitzkin. And Joshua Waitzkin was a chess prodigy, one of the best players in the entire world and did a lot of other fantastic learning-based things. Uh, And he has this concept called form to leave form or numbers to leave numbers. And it's essentially when you study something so intensely that it becomes part of your subconscious. And then when you're actually going through the action of whatever you've learned, you enter a state of flow and your subconscious is able to take advantage of all of the information you've learned and apply it to solve the problem in front of you. And so chess is a good example. If you've studied 10,000 hours of chess and your brain understands it, your body and your subconscious might be able to lead you to making a certain move that you wouldn't get to logically just using your brain. And so that's very important. Reading these books helps your subconscious identify opportunities to implement the information. But you're not going to get the information into your subconscious by reading a couple bullet points from a book summary. It's just not going to happen. People sometimes think, okay, well, books are super repetitive. They give too many examples. That's totally by design. 
you need to feed this information 50 different ways into your brain. Sometimes you might need to read two or three dozen books on one subject before you truly understand it. Different perspectives are important. You know, I like habits as an example. I've probably read 20 different books on how to form habits. And that's because it's such an important area of my life. And reading one book summary of Atomic Habits by James Clear or The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy or The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson, like those book summaries aren't going to get me emotional. They're not going to ingrain that into my subconscious. And so, you know, I do think that book summaries are better than doing nothing, but I think book summaries are an excuse and a shortcut and they're very inefficient compared to reading an entire book. So Unfortunately, for people who only read book summaries, I do think it is hurting their potential. I like what you said there about the emotion, because I think back to maybe one of my favorite books of all time, um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And that book is, is littered with not only concepts and ideas, but it backs up each one with a, a, a story. And that makes it more personable and that makes it more relatable. And I think if I was just to read a bullet point that said, um you know the 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 sweetest sound in any language is someone's name cool you know but without the actual example story behind it i can't put my faith in that i can't believe it you know mm-hmm. yeah absolutely i you know just one more point on it is that i i think your biggest takeaways from a book are going to be 200 times more valuable than somebody else's biggest mm-hmm. takeaways from a book And a book like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I mentioned earlier, you might read that book one year and think it's a real estate book. And then you might read that same book two years later and think it's a, you know, a mindset book. And so your biggest takeaways can shift over time. And just reading one person with a completely different, unique experience and set of responsibilities in the world, if you read their biggest takeaways, you're doing yourself a disservice. There's an opportunity cost to reading a book summary and not experiencing it yourself. It's like saying, oh, hiking Machu Picchu is amazing. Well, you don't get to experience the same joy that that person did just because they told you it was amazing. Like you need to experience it yourself. And then that emotional experience of hiking Machu Picchu is going to be very different for you when you think about it. And so that's just one other thing that I wanted to mention. Where do you stand on... I think in the in the book community or the personal development community, fiction is often looked down upon in a sense. And, and I'm of somewhat controversial belief that fiction can actually be, um, it, it can be a positive uh, for us to read because I, I think back to a few fiction books I've read and I've learned from them, maybe empathy or things about love or loyalty or things like that. Um, where do you stand on this fiction argument? And do you think there's any value in reading? Obviously, me and you and people like us, we're going to read personal development unlimited amount more times than we read fiction. But do you see any value in fiction at all? And do you try and implement it into your reading? I do. I, I do see value in fiction. Because fiction is the only place in our human experience, I think, uh, that mimics dreaming, where the impossible can become possible. And it's the ultimate form of creativity. And so I'm a big fan of fiction. Um, I don't read a ton of fiction. The fiction that I do really like comes in the form of fables. So, you know, these business fables where it is a fictional story, but they're teaching sort of life lessons or business lessons intentionally. 
And listen, like a Harry Potter or something like that is extremely valuable for people. While you're reading Harry Potter, your brain gets to create all of these amazing images and you get to learn new vocabulary. You get to experience emotions in, in a way that sometimes humans don't open up and tell in their own biographies or autobiographies. And so it's important to see the decision-making process and the thought process of these fictional characters. Like I believe all of that is very important. Uh, I'm not at a phase in my life where I read a lot of fiction. I think it's it's less than 20% of what I read, maybe even less than 10% of what I read. But some books like The Alchemist, as an example, have had a massive impact on my life. And that is a pure work of fiction. There is nothing true about that story. But I look back at that book and I've probably read it four times. And every single time I go through it, I'm filled with wonder and awe and this desire to travel. And that's not going to come from a work of nonfiction. So I'm a big fan of fiction and I would encourage people to read fiction. Absolutely. I love that. So back onto optimizing reading. How do you ensure that you are dwelling enough on a book rather than just smashing through them for that numbers game? You see a lot of people, they build a lot of bravado and I can read this X amount a month. For example, um, in Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill says in the introduction, read no more than one chapter a day because you need enough time to reflect on it. Where do you, where, what is your opinion on that? Yeah, I, I always tell people I spend 20 hours a week reading or whatever the number is, and I spend the rest of my time implementing and reflecting on that information. Mm. I have an accountability group that I meet with every single week, and it's a group of people that I've been meeting with, some of them for a couple of years now. And we keep this shared Google spreadsheet. It's Monday through Sunday. And it lists all of our goals and all of the actions that we're going to use to complete those goals. Some might be like my morning routine, as an example, is a block of activity. And I have a goal for most of it for seven days a week and then some of it for five days a week. And each day that I hit it, I'll put a little one in the box. Each day that I don't, I put a zero. And at the end of the week, I'll see what I hit and what I didn't hit. And then during those weekly meetings, we talk about our successes, our failures, what we want to do moving forward, how we can fix those things. And when I'm reading these amazing books, I'm trialing different activities throughout my week. It might be trying this new form of meditation. It might be trying this new change in my diet or exercise routine. It might be applying this change to book thinkers in my business. And so I'm implementing a ton of different activity, always trialing different things from the books that I'm reading, things that have worked for other people. And uh, I think also through book thinkers, I'm going back and I'm reflecting on this information with the intent to teach it to other people, which, I, which is a unique perspective. Oftentimes you're just reading to apply it to your own life, but oftentimes I'm also reading to apply it to other people's lives. And so, yeah, for me, massive fan of implementing as much as you can, trying it out, reflecting on it, spending time with the book, uh, not reading just for vanity metrics. But on the back end of this conversation, I read a lot more than most people do. Like, although my goal is 60, I'll probably read like 80 or 100 books this year. And a lot of people say that's way too much. And I say, well, I just spend a lot of time reading. I bet I reflect more than most people do on every chapter from every book that I read, but I do read a lot more books because I'm spending 20 hours a week reading and the rest of my time implementing information. So I'm a big, uh, big fan of quantity and quality. 
on that ha- um, on that note, then, what would you say are the most prominent habits or ideas that you've implemented into your day to day life now that you've picked up through books? Yeah, there are there are so 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 many. Um, one really good example would be the compound effect by Darren Hardy that small steps in the right direction over a long period of time can lead to a very disproportionate outcome, one that your brain wouldn't normally think of. And so I'm all about little small steps every single day, little habits, things that only take a couple minutes. A really good example um, for people in the United States, I don't know in kilometers, but it's like 3,000 miles um, horizontally. And so from LA to New York is a very big distance in the United States. So if a plane is taking off from LA and it's heading to New York City, but the nose of the plane is off by just 1%, as that 1% compounds over that journey, it actually ends up about 150 miles off course. And so that example blows a lot of people's minds. They're like, wow, I didn't know 1% could lead to such a massive change. But in our lives, a 1% change, something that just takes a couple minutes a day, like meditation or a change to your diet or exercise routine, over 20 years is going to lead to a massive, massively different place. You will be a completely different human being by just taking these little steps. And so whenever I'm reading books, I'm trying to find what are those little things that I can apply to my life or to my business or to my relationships or to my body that will lead to a massive change over time. And then I implement them into my routines and I look for different changes uh, as time goes on to see if I want to keep things into my routine. And so that's one example of just a principle that I learned from a book that I applied to my life. And now I apply it to every book that I'm reading. And it's very exciting for me to talk about. Um, I think another one is just getting different perspectives, reading about perspectives that maybe you don't share, trying to remove your biases from the world and the conditioning that you've experienced earlier in your life, um, trying to become less emotionally reactive to, to people and to things that you might not agree with, trying to understand other people's perspectives and opinions, um, trying to just have unconditional love for the world. Like That's another thing that I learned directly from books. And I do think that nonfiction sometimes can help you create more empathy. I read recently that 80% of your capacity for empathy is a learned skill. It's only 20% of it is genetic and predisposed to you as a human being. The the rest of it is completely up to you to cultivate. And so, you know, I know I'm rambling a little bit, but there's a million different things that I've applied into my daily life from all these amazing books. Absolutely. One question we ask every guest on this show, and this is going to be far more hard a question for you than it is for anyone else, is I ask every person I interview what books have impacted their life more than anything. So to you, I ask you for maybe three to five of the books that have had the biggest impact on you in any way. Well, um, I'll, try to give, I'll try to give a couple that I haven't talked about already because some of the books that I've mentioned already uh, are, are my normal answer to this question, like Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, like The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy, or The Four-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, but I'll give a couple other answers. So another book that's had a massive impact on my life is Vagabonding by Rolf Potts. That's a book that a lot of people haven't read, and it's a subject that a lot of people don't read about. It's actually about long-term world travel and the importance of world travel and experiencing new cultures and things like that. 
And so prior to reading that book, I didn't have very much interest in traveling internationally and experiencing other cultures and getting outside of my comfort zone. You know, I almost looked at it as counterproductive because you're not working while you're traveling. And so that book helped me to reframe my perspectives around world travel, and it got me to go out and experience the world a little bit. And so last year, prior to COVID-19, I went, I went in 2019, I think, to six different countries, including a solo travel trip to Argentina for five weeks by myself. And I don't speak Spanish. And so that experience was extremely uncomfortable. And I never would have done it if I hadn't read that book. And now travel is a very important part of my life. Other than book thinkers, people look at me as the guy that's traveling now because I just have such an addiction to it. And so I'm discovering new continents within myself as I'm traveling and experiencing the uncomfort and the discomfort. So that's a big one, Vagabonding by Rolf Potts. Another example is a book that I just read sort of in the same vein called Die With Zero by Bill Perkins. I only just read it a couple of weeks ago and it's a brand new book, but it had such a big impact on me because he says that when you're younger and you experience something like a travel experience as an example, and you document it and you create awesome memories, you get to receive dividends from that memory or that experience for the rest of your life in the form of memory dividends, just like an investment. Because each time you relive that experience or go back and look at those photos or videos that you've taken, you get to re-experience the joy that you just experienced when you were traveling. And so using like what we talked about earlier, Machu Picchu as an example, if you do it in your 20s, that return on the time that you invested in the form of memory dividends gets paid out for the rest of your life. You get to tell friends and family about that experience. You get to relive it yourself, that same level of joy and excitement and energy that you felt. You get to experience that forever. And so that was a really important mindset shift for me because a lot of people think work your butt off, don't do any traveling, and then retire and you'll be able to travel forever. But the sad truth is that physically our bodies, you know, they break down over time and you might be limited in the future with your ability to endure long layovers and intense hiking and travel experiences and things like that. So live your life now and then experience that experience for the rest of your life. So that was another one. And I'll give one more example, uh, The Go-Giver by Bob Berg and John David Mann. I read that book early on in my life, and it taught me the importance of the reciprocal relationship between giving and then receiving. And so there are a lot of people that are on one end of the spectrum, but they don't participate with the other end very much. You're either a go-getter, so you just take, 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 take. You work all the time. You're just trying to make money. You're not really caring about other people very much. Or, and sometimes what's even worse, is you just try to give, 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 give. You never pay any attention to your self-worth. You never pay any attention to your own health. Like you'd rather, um, you'd rather help the health of your friends or your pets or something like that than yourself. And so, you, you know, you're not focusing on self-love. It's kind of that example in an airplane. You need to put your oxygen mask on first before you can help other people. And we ignore that. And so the go-giver taught me in my life that I need to have a healthy balance of both. The more that I give, the more that I can receive. The more that I receive, the more I can give. And so with money as an example, that stands true. The more money I receive and the bigger that my following is, the more I can give back and the more people I help. 
And then the more people I help, the more money I can make from that experience. And then that cycle just perpetuates itself and your influence can be bigger and better. And a lot of people don't think about it that way. And so I would encourage people to read all of the books that I just mentioned. Um, if any of them sounded interesting to you, definitely check them out. They're all awesome authors. They're all awesome books. Amazing. I'll, I'll be sure to link those in the show notes for everyone as well. And I can testify to uh, Rolf Potts. Um, we've actually had him on this show to talk about that book specifically. Uh, we haven't actually released the episode yet because due to um, COVID, we don't want everyone to get excited about travel and not actually be able to go yet. So <laughs> waiting to release that one. Um, I have two more questions for you, man. The yeah. first one would be if we picture a scenario in which every person in the world is tuned into the same frequency and you're asked to deliver just a message or a lesson that you think every person in the world could benefit from, what would Nick's message to the world be? Well, it's a big question. I think my message would be one of unconditional love and no judgment. You know, we all have come from very unique experiences and oftentimes we judge other people unfairly. Um, we don't show enough love for other people. And so one of the big messages for book thinkers is global reach and acceptance. I believe that self-education can help anybody out of any difficult situation. And there's always a book to help somebody get through whatever they've experienced. And so Right now, all over the world, but especially in the U.S., there's a lot of uh, social injustice and there's a lot of you know, hate going on. And I never want to bond with other people over mutual hatred of something. I just want to show unconditional love and be accepting of all people. And that would be my message is one of unconditional love. If I had a billboard, it would just say love everybody. Amazing. The last question I have for you. Um, so if I give you an example of this uh, question. So for me, uh, what makes a life worth living? Um, I just love the fact that every every night when I go to bed, I know through this podcast, I've done something to bring information from the people who have it to the people who need it. And that's what makes a life worth living for me. So for you, Nick, what makes a life worth living? Yeah, for me, it's it's a very similar message. You know, I love to help other people make daily progress in their life. And I love to experience progress in my life. So on my side, you know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm fulfilled if I've made progress in my health, progress in my wealth and progress in my love, communication with friends, family, you know, colleagues, people in my community. And I love to show other people that they can experience fulfillment through that as well. And so progress comes in many forms, but a very easy form to make progress is through reading books. And I love connecting people with the right book at the right time that can change their life and being, you know, it's less about me being a part of that. And it's more about them being connected with the right book and knowing that like deep down, I'm helping the world become a better place. You know, books, you know, it's very difficult for a book to hurt somebody or to make them dumber as an example. A book is always going to help somebody and make, help them make progress, whether that's a new perspective or something like that. And so, yeah, that, that's it for me. It's just helping people make progress. Nick, where can our listeners find you and find book thinkers and connect? Yeah, a couple different places. So Instagram at bookthinkers, B-O-O-K-T-H-I-N-K-E-R-S, at bookthinkers. That's the best place to find our social community. And then for more information about our mission uh, or our mobile application, our shop, our podcast, 
you can go to www.bookthinkers.com and you'll find all information about us. We just put out a brand new mobile application that helps people retain and implement more information from the books they love. And so you can find out more information about that with links to the um, Apple iOS store, App Store, or the Google Play Store and all that kind of fun information. And that wraps up today's episode of the Freedom Pact podcast. Join us again Thursday when we'll have an extra episode out this week. Until then, guys, check us out on YouTube and subscribe for the video versions of all these podcasts if you haven't already. YouTube.com forward slash Freedom Pact. I'll see you guys on Thursday.